0: Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for being here in person, or if you're watching online, thank you for watching as well. My name is John, and I'm the youth pastor here. If we haven't met yet, I hope to meet you sometime after the service today. So this morning, we have the opportunity to continue in on our series on the book of John. But before we walk through this text, I kind of want to share a bit of a story about me. Now, some of you might know I have traveled to a number of different countries in the world. It's a good time. It's always fun. And one of the countries I got to actually travel to in my life was Egypt. It's so a little bit interesting, but always when you travel anywhere, you always need a SIM card in some capacity, in some place. Now, I get off the airplane and I'm like looking around the airport. I find like where I can buy these things. And when I immediately go into line, I step up, and the guy at the kiosk kind of pokes his head over. He's like, We don't have any more. I'm like, I didn't even know that it was possible to not have any more SIM cards. Like, I just thought those just grew out of the ground or something. And uh, so, anyways, I figure it out, make my way to the hostel. I'm going to, and I still need to figure out where a SIM card is. So I proceed to ask, you know, the people that work there. I'm like, okay, so, like, do you know where to find any SIM cards? And like, oh, it's, like, around here. I'm like, that, that that's it? They're like, yep. I'm like, all right. Okay, so I proceed to, like, walk around, explore my way, try to ask people, and every single person that I meet, they just give me the same answer, like, oh, it's around here somewhere, like, you just walk that way. I'm like, cool. So I'm getting no directions of, like, actually a place that I'm looking for, what it looks like, anything like that. And so all I'm seeing are these kind of little holes in the walls, like the shops that you actually see up in the picture there. And so as I'm walking around, I'm like, hey, that one looks sketchy. This one does not look like I could buy anything good. But I, like, as I'm walking around, I see one that actually says Samsung in, like, pretty you know, washed out letters, I'm like, this looks a little bit sketchy, but at least it's a start. So, I walk up, and, you know, I, I start to talk in English, and his English is pretty broken, pretty badly, so, you know, you just start to use sign language, so I take out my phone, I'm like, can you put the, the SIM card thing in, in, inside my phone, and sooner or later, like, you know, after a little while of trying to explain it, we figure it out. I was like, okay, so I, I hand him the cash. He opens my phone, looks at the SIM card, and says, oh, like, I don't, I don't sell those. I'm like, so can I have my money back? He's like, no. I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? So I'm like fuming, trying to like figure out with this guy, okay, so can I have my money back now? How about now? Maybe a little bit later? Like, what about now, please? Um, no, he just proceeds to walk me over maybe like five blocks up the road to where I'm actually supposed to go. And so I'm like, okay, great. So I have to get my passport, get it, get that SIM card. And as I'm like talking to kind of one of the guys in my hostel, I explained to him the situation that I had. And immediately after that, he's like, all right, dude, we'll figure it out. I'm like, cool, great, awesome. I'm like, okay, this man must speak Arabic. Like he was like Spanish, but I'm like, somehow he's going to communicate. I don't know how he's going to do it. And so we walk up, show him where the place is. It's a different guy because this guy that stole my money probably like disappeared. And he proceeds to pull out his phone and pull out Google Translate. And I'm just standing there being like, oh, I'm an idiot. Like, I could have I used my phone. I thought about it a little bit later. But I actually didn't have any internet, so I felt dumb for a second, but we're good. But all that to say is he used it, and he communicated, so I actually got something back. And so he used a point of clarity between communi- communicating to someone who actually doesn't speak English. But he used that point of Google Translate, to actually clearly communicate something back and actually getting me something back that I desperately wanted, such as money. Um, and John here, in what we're going to look through today in John 316 to 21, acts as this kind of guide, this clarifier through what we're looking at. But in the context before, as we've kind of walked through, it talks about Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. And see, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's a leader and a student of the Word of God. And he asks Jesus, how can I have Eternal life. Now you have to understand here that he's a ruler, kind of other people, a leader, a teacher. And he has strict rules of things that he's supposed to follow and how he's actually supposed to get to heaven. And so as, as Jesus is talking, Nicodemus starts to get confused. Jesus is like, dude, you have to be born again. He's like, uh, I don't think that's possible. So, you know, he talks about being born of the Spirit. Nothing that Nicodemus could do has done. The goodness that he has, the good works that he will do, would ever answer the problem. And so Nicodemus, being confused, he asks, how can these things be? And just as Nicodemus is confused, kind of talking about that, I would say, especially to the readers and even some of us today, we can be just as confused by the statements that Jesus makes. And by the end of that conversation that they have, Jesus points back to Numbers 21.9. If you don't know the story, it's, it's basically Moses is given a bronze stake by God. So when he puts it up, he actually heals the people of God if they look at this bronze snake. And in the same way, as you look to Jesus, you believe in him, you will then have eternal life. And so John jumps in after this kind of point of confusion and starts to clarify this conversation and the reality of what it means and what it is. John is going to sum up what's happening in this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. He points to the question, what is the point and the purpose of Jesus? And John writes this in 3.16.21. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people love the darkness more than the light. For their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God Wants. Now that's a lot, but looking at the very, very beginning of it, other translations would actually put it like this: "For God so loved the world that He gave His one only Son, as we all know." But for God so loved, Jesus came because of the love that God has. But how would we actually describe this love? See, love in the English language is thrown around left and right. Man, I love pizza. <laughs> I love my dog. I love to ski, I love this, that, and the other thing. But the love that is talked about here is so much different because it extends beyond the reach of a contract between any point in time, but it's one that is completely and utterly selfless. This love is intended by God from the beginning of time and before that. A choice to love unconditionally and selflessly. And this love that meets no end, so much that you would hope to find in your family a love with no condition. And all of this stemmed from the reality of him creating you and I. See, in first John 4:16, it says this: So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is Is love. So the love that is given to us is because of God. God not being loving is in fact an act against himself. Who he even is. His being, his character, his essence. All of that is found in the idea of love. Because he is that. And he brings about this love not because of anything that you've done. But because of who he is. Because he is love. And so there's nothing that you can do to make God love you more. That's a really important point. But just in the point, as we make mistakes in our lives, there's nothing more you can do to make God love you less because he loves you so much. Because God's love is in the shape of an unconditional one. See, he not only loves, and that's it, but he loves the world. God's love is a selfless one. He loves selflessly so that we may be saved. See, when it speaks to the point of the world, the world is not talking about, you know, the grass, the trees, all that. I mean, sure, he made it, he loves it, but it's specifically talking towards humanity. And when we think about the world, we're like, okay, so the world's humanity, humanity, that means me. So God loves me. Absolutely right, 100%, you are on the mark. But here's the thing, humanity isn't just you and me, it's everybody. And God didn't send down his son for one specific person, but he sent him down for the whole world. And see, the Jewish population, as they're kind of reading through, through this gospel, they're probably like, hmm, I don't know. I don't really like the Gentiles, I'm not going to lie. People who are not Jewish. They probably didn't even like that statement to begin with because they're just like, we're supposed to separate ourselves from them. But God is now saying that he loves all of them? Yeah. Because God loves everyone. And this love that he has should not be admired because, you know, the world is so big. Sure, that's part in why we admire it, but it really should be admired. Because the world is actually so bad, so twisted. And yet, this love that he has is so unrestricted. See, those people that you might hate, those people you might despise... You know, that boss that makes your life miserable, that friend who betrayed you, that family member that wants nothing to do with you, God still loved them. And see, this love for the world was so great. His love for us was so overwhelming and so massive that he sent down his one and only son. And the idea is here is that God so loved. God didn't just love, he so loved the world. And this points to an intensity of God's love. So, well, show I would say is best, des- best described if you've ever been pranked by anyone before. You know, you're just chilling out in the summertime, relaxing, whatever, or you're asleep. It really depends. I've done them to both people, and it's been done to me. But they grab a bunch of iced water, and they just dump it all over you, and you just start to freak out. But you're not like, you're not just, you know, fuming. You actually say words. And so, words that have come out of my mouth, you know, it's not just like, you're dead. You know, like that, that makes a statement. No, 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 no. I say, you're so dead. Right? Like, it has that point of intensity. I mean it. And that's the same thing. God so loved. God intensely loved the world. He loved us. But see, God hates the sin that we commit. But he loves the sinner being you and me. It cost God his one and only son. It was a trade-in for his love for us. See, and if we miss this important piece of God sending his son... We miss the whole thing. We become confused, just like Nicodemus with his lack of understanding, because Jesus is the center of it all. And see, Jesus being the one and only, the begotten, is found in this one word, monogenesis in the Greek. It describes Jesus as being unique, as being one and only. And the point that's really important here is that God gave his highest gift that equates to the love that he actually has for us. I'm just going to say that one more time. God gave us his highest gift that equates to the love that he has for us. And so this love that is given to us is expressed in depth in these verses in Ephesians. It says, And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, and high and deep is the love of Christ. We can only grasp, not even understand, only grasp in just a finite amount of the love that God has for us. And see, you know, thinking about this love that God has, or or just choosing to do something that maybe for most of us, we honestly wouldn't want to do. It brought me back to high school. Um, And, you know, especially for you high school boys, most of us, I would not say, are really in tune with our caring nature, we'll just say. The idea of little kids, babies, I'm like, um, I don't know, those things might puke on me, I ain't changing a diaper, not wiping a butt, I'm good, thank you, I'm good to just hang out, do my own thing. But, here's the thing, in high school, a lot of times, they're like, oh, you know, you should just, like, totally, like, help out, you know, the grades that are below you. So there was one time, I can't exactly remember what we were doing, but it was around lunchtime. Like, I think it was a whole day of just helping out the grade sixes. And we have lunch. And this kid that I'm, like, hanging out with, whatever, he's, like, he eats, he eats like, lunch. He's, like, oh, I'm feeling a little bit sick. I'm, like, all right, buddy. Like, you can go to the bathroom. Like, do your thing. Make sure you feel like it's, like, oh, it's okay. And he, like, he, like he's, like, he's, he's looking, like, pretty green at this point. I'm, like, oh, boy, what's about to happen? This little kid decides to puke all over the table that we were just sitting at. I'm, like, great fantastic. But even better than that is I was given the beautiful opportunity to clean it up. Good time. I love that. And, you know, I can't exactly say that that made me want to um, invest in spending time with little kids after that for a little while. As you can clearly see, I'm a youth pastor. Um, But here's the thing. Jesus' love was not just an expression, but it was embodied. Jesus came as fully God and fully man I took on the responsibility that would otherwise be an offense towards God because sin was committed. See, he cleaned up the mess that he didn't make. And those who sinned against him, he took it upon himself to save them. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And this love was presented by suffering, by bearing the weight of the sin of the world, by dying on the cross for you and for me. And being resurrected, so we are now able to have a relationship with God. But it's nothing that you and I did, but everything that he could do. See, God gives sacrificially so everyone could believe. The opportunity to believe, to trust, to have faith in what God did for us is laid out in front in Jesus. See, we're asked to believe that he died on the cross and rose again. We're asked to believe, to have faith, and know that God is actually loving us and that Jesus came to save. And we do this, we believe in this, and we grow in this because we're given eternal life as a reward. But the opposite of this, the opposite of actually choosing to believe in Jesus is what? It says that we will perish. It's not that we'll cease to exist, who knows? It's that we will perish. We will perish in a life forever, eternally, without the presence of God. See, if you believe, you already understand. If you even have the idea of God, it is the same understanding here because it is saying that the creator, the one who created you, the one that you're in connection to is just stripped away completely because you choose not to believe and you're not able to have that eternal life with God, but it's given to you if you only believe. And see, you might might see this idea that I just placed forward and you're like, okay, Jesus is just pushing an agenda on me. Many people might think, oh, he just had some good things to say, no more, no less. Some might believe that, you know, Jesus actually came to condemn, because why are these words so harsh? And this is what it says in verse 17. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. So why would Jesus do this? See, Jesus placed himself in our human condition. He came to the world to save us from sin. He did not come to say, well, you know, you, you and you, you guys can get saved. Well, you guys over there, nah, it ain't gonna happen. He came to save us because he loved us. And verse 18 tells us why he actually came to save. See, it says, there's, there is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for believing, for not believing in God's one and only son. See, Jesus didn't come to condemn because we were condemned already. But that is why he came to save. See, the best way I actually can look at it is like an old Western movie. You know, where there's a bunch of people in a train on the railroad and the brakes ain't happening. They're broken and they're about to go off a cliff. And the, you're just headed towards it. There's and doom. And humanity is on this runaway train. It's our trajectory to go off on a track towards an eternity separated from God. And so it doesn't matter how nice you are, how many good things you've done, how good you think you are, what your friends say, how smart you are, your age. Anything across that line, it doesn't matter because you're all headed for the same direction. But here's the crazy thing. As we're going down this road, Jesus comes up riding on a horse. He puts his hand out and says, jump. He puts out his hand and says, trust in me. And that's the crazy thing here. Because that's the only way that we can be saved. The only way that we can get off this train is to jump, to believe, to trust, to have faith in Jesus. And so, for those of you who might not believe, this is the reality of your motivation. If you're here and you haven't jumped off the train yet, if you haven't taken Jesus' hands, if you haven't put your faith and trust in Him and believe that He is your Lord and Savior, This message is for you, but it's not one questioning whether there's possible condemnation. It's one that's already happening, but Jesus is the answer to be saved. And for the believer, this is all the more reason for you to actually strive so much more to tell people about who Jesus is. Because there's so many people on that train and only so many jump off And so why aren't you in your desperation for how much better it was to jump off that train to tell other people how good it is to actually jump off, to be saved? And the people that we meet are destined towards this, and it's only in our ability to actually tell them about it that some of them might even listen. And it's all the more reason to invest, to learn to trust in who God is. But why would people actually choose otherwise if this is the case? See, so the love that God has for us is unwarranted. Nothing that you and I can do can make God love us more or less, as I've said. But in fact, we actually never did anything to make God love us in the first place. See, John places for forward this reason. It says, and the judgment is based on this fact. God's light, being Jesus, came into the world, but people love the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. See, God has a better plan. But as people, we love to self govern. We love to get our own way. See, as a kid, for me, a lot of times, man, I, as you guys can tell, I'm an extrovert. That's the only way I'm standing on this stage. And I absolutely love people. And as a kid, that was my favorite thing, going, hanging out at my friend's houses. But with that, I couldn't drive. So what does that mean? Mom, Dad, can I actually like, go to my friend's house today? That's not just a one-time question for me. Uh-uh, ain't no way. One minute passes, I see them walk by. Hey, do you remember? I actually told you about this friend that I wanted to hang out with today. You know, walks into the kitchen, I just follow along. Hey, um, I don't know whether you've actually said yes or no yet, but I actually want to go see this friend at like 4.30 in the evening tonight. Is that possible? I'm probably in and out, asking again and again and again. My parents got annoyed. I probably noticed sometimes, sometimes not. But I really wanted it to go my own way. And we love to do the things that we love to do. We want to do our own thing. We want our own way because we love sin. We love not being told what to do. But Jesus comes alongside us and tells us, hold up. Just wait. You're not doing the right thing. And we're like, yo, Jesus, uh-uh. You're, you're cramping on my style, man. I want to do what I want to do. But Jesus came into a world that actually loves the darkness. He didn't come to people who actually liked him in the first place. And he says, stop what you're doing because I have so much more for you. And some might actually ask the question, Can I actually do both? Can I love Jesus yet at the same time do the things that I used to? And here's the answer found in Matthew 26, 24. It says, no one can serve two masters for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. You cannot love God and be enslaved to your love of your family. You cannot love God and be enslaved to this, that, or the other thing. So we're given a choice of one or the other. We're not given a choice in between. We either love the darkness or we strive to be in the light. And it continues in verse 20. It says, All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it. For fear their sins will be exposed. See, some of you might be looking at me You're like, "Ah, you know, I'm not. That's not me. I'm not. I'm not sinful. I'm good. I did my own thing. I'm not a bad person. I don't do evil things. I actually don't like people who do bad things. But here's the thing. How many of us actually love to take accountability? How many of us actually tell people the sins that we've committed or the things that we've done wrong against them? I don't just, you know, you, don't, you just don't go up to your boss or I just don't go up to Marlo and be like, dude, man, I, uh, I really just was annoyed with you yesterday. I just want to let you know that. I hope we're good now. You know? No right? You don't just go up to your friends and, or, or your coworkers and you're like, dude, I just hyped myself up yesterday at the, par- at, the, at the work party or party you were at. Like, I just want to make myself feel better. I hope you guys actually trust me now with everything that I say. No, we don't actually say those things because we as humans like to hide things. We keep things under wraps. It's because we love the darkness. And it's because we fear once we open up we won't be loved. We won't be seen or look the same. But God Sees that and he tells us, I love you and I'm calling you out of the sin that we're placed in. And so in John 7 7, it says this the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. And so in the darkness, when it's brought to the light, it's uncomfortable. We don't like it, if I'm being honest. But it's deemed fairly as evil because it's opposed, it's in opposition to what God actually wants and has best for us. And those things we do are evil not because they glorify God, but because they glorify us. And he calls us out into the light to be made right again. He calls us out and exposes the impurities in our lives. And this is what it says in verse 21. It says, But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. And so the actions of those in the light do what is right. Do everything ultimately for the glory of God because he is the one that created us and he is the one that saved us. See, good works are never done for myself. I can never do anything in the goodness of my own flesh and the goodness of my own desires and the goodness of my darkness because it's my own glorification, not His. But the things that we do should be done for Him who loved us because He sent His Son to the world. And so, to the Christian, how are you glorifying your life to live for Him? Is everything placed first forward in him or is he just on the back of your mind when something bad happens? Are you living a divided life, serving yourself and trying to serve God at the same time? Because he tells us you're either in or you're not. And are you living your life desperate for people to know Jesus? Or are you just stuck where you feel comfortable and not willing to actually make that move even when you know that the Spirit is telling you otherwise? See, God calls us from our life of deception. And he asks us to live a life in the light. He doesn't ask us to put our keep our little toe in it. He asks us to jump all the way in. To jump off that train completely. And we love him because he loved us first. See, God is not a God that forces everything on a person. But he's a God of love who in his character is love embodied. And he loves us, but he offers us a choice, a chance to have a relationship with him. And his love was so great that he had no choice. In fact, he loved us so much that it just outpoured that he had to give his son, his one and only son that died on the cross for you and me, and me bearing the weight of the sins of the worlds, and was resurrected again, so we now are able to have a relationship with the father. And in the middle of the ups and downs, the battles in life, God is still asking us to actually lift our eyes up to the light, to Christ who actually died for me and for you. And so, for those of you who believe, are you actually living your life in response and in honor of what God gave you? Are you using every means to follow after Him and allowing people to actually understand and receive the same gift that you have been given? And for those of you who may not believe, maybe there's something stirring in your heart today. Maybe you feel like these words were something that God has just placed in your heart. Maybe the reality of Jesus is something you've never recognized before, but you've never been able to make it past where you are. You felt stuck. Know that Jesus came to save you know that he loves you and know that he came into a world that hated him, but he wants everyone to know him. And in the midst of a world that's broken and the things that you've done to separate yourself from God, Jesus comes in and closes that gap, closes that separation. And so as we pray together in closing, I just would ask that everyone closes their eyes and bows their heads. And if there's anyone today that actually wants to accept Jesus, I would just ask that you would just raise your hand. God, we just thank you so much for who you are, for what you've done in the, on the cross for me, Jesus. I just lay my life before you and I ask that you would just take my sins, that you would become the Lord and leader of my life. And we just pray today, God, that you would just allow each and every one of us to continue to strive to honor you. Continue to strive to actually get to know you more, to believe, but not only that, to actually understand work and grow in our relationship with you. Because it's not just a point of head knowledge and exception, but it's actually a point of moving our life from where we were to where you want us to be. So I just pray, Lord, that you would just allow through this week, through this month, God, God, especially this Christmas season, for us to just reflect, acknowledge, and know what you've done for us and the blessing that that is.